0: Well, I am excited this morning to get to introduce you to Joe Iziquiere. Joe and his family have been members at Windsor Road for the past few years. Uh, Joe is in his last year of his Ph.D. in communications. Um, He got his master's in theology at Dallas Theological Seminary and has been involved in ministry and church planting for years. Um, And so we are really excited to have him uh, preaching this morning. Uh, Randy's away at a preaching conference and... Uh, We're just really looking forward to God speaking through you this morning. So let me pray, and then Joe's going to share the word. Father God, thank you so much for Joe, for the calling you've placed on his life. Um, Lord, we're thankful that you have blessed our church family through Joe and Liz and their kids over these past years. Um, And so this morning we are praying just like we do every week uh, that we here on the stage would get out of the way so that what you want said gets said. So Lord, speak through Joe this morning. Help our ears be open and our hearts be ready for the message you have for us through him. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: As Katie said, I am not Randy Boltinghouse, the lead minister here at Windsor Road Christian Church. Um, But if you were needing a way to tell us apart, he is slightly taller than me, I believe. So if you ever see us in the same space, hopefully that will help tell us apart. 108 years. If there's anyone that has anything to say about patience, it's a fan of the Chicago Cubs. Now for some of you in the room, those 108 years between the Cubs World Series wins were actually bliss. For White Sox fans, for example, the fact that the Cubs had sustained such a long losing streak was absolutely wonderful. But for Cubs fans, the year 2016 was divine visitation. Down 3-1 in the best of seven series. They won game seven when Mike Montgomery induced a two-out grounder. And the Chicago Cubs became only the sixth team in the history of baseball to overcome a 3-1 deficit and win the World Series. Patience. When it comes to many things in life, we have patience, we cultivate patience, we celebrate patience, we teach our children that patience is a virtue, and for many things, we're okay with that. Waiting for our team to win the next championship or their first championship is a case in point. We wait nine months for our children to be born, and we're even willing to wait three hours for our turn at the Chick-fil-A drive-through. However, there is a different side of patience that we often overlook, but which is just as important to our spiritual lives and just as virtuous. In many of the examples I just described, patience is impersonal. That is, patience is there for us to achieve in the face of some adversity. But there's another side of patience, one that's much more mundane and easy to overlook because it happens when we are with others. That kind of patience is interpersonal patience. That's the kind of patience that goes beyond me and is crucial for maintaining a sense of we. So today we're going to be looking at this interpersonal patience. This patience that's expressed between people and not only by people. This is a patience that is shown with others, to others, and For others. This interpersonal patience indicates the energy and the presence of the Holy Spirit in a believing community. Today we're talking about the longest virtue, the virtue that preserves Christian community. And so for today's text we're going to be staying primarily in the book of Galatians. The passage we're going to be looking at describes an encounter between our early church leaders, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. I think there's a lesson there about what patience looks like. And so we're going to be spending our time this morning looking at the interpersonal patience between these two characters. So let's turn there together, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16 And let me read that for us this morning. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. To preview our time together, we're going to be be answering three questions as we move through Galatians. First, we'll answer the question, what is patience? Second, we'll answer how is patience? And third, we're going to answer the question, where is patience? So what, how, and where? We will not be answering the why today, because sometimes the answer to that is because God said so. That's not the case today. I needed to arrive at the magical three-point sermon, and so why didn't make the cut? (laughs) But let's dive in, shall we? So the first question we should answer is, what is patience? The kind of patience that Galatians talks about and he speaks to in chapter 5 is an interpersonal, spirit-energized tolerance for other believers. So let's define some of these terms before we dive in. So first, this patience is above all interpersonal. By interpersonal, I mean that the patience we read about in Galatians has more to do with my response to others than it does my response to situations. So typically, our first inclination when we think about patience is that it is an isolated virtue, one where I wait for something, I manage my response, and I don't worry about what others think because I have to manage myself in this situation. But the fruit of the Spirit here is an interpersonal patience. It is a patience between persons. So the entire book of Galatians is dripping with a Christianity that is interpersonal where the believer's faith is viewed in relationship to others. Note how Paul begins his letter in chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, as he says, and then in verse 2, and all the brothers who are with me. And then again in verse 11, he speaks to the Galatian churches like they are his brothers. Paul's conversion story also is a confirmation from other established believers So while God certainly didn't need to send Paul to Jerusalem to have his faith confirmed, as he says in verse 17, God nonetheless sends Paul to Jerusalem to have his faith affirmed by Cephas and James, the Lord's brother, until finally he meets Barnabas and Titus. So from the beginning of Paul's ministry to its end, his faith is consistently portrayed as public and communal. So in all of this, patience is interpersonal because Christianity is ultimately a communal faith, a faith that we share and we partake in public with others. Now this patience is also spirit energized. And as a result, patience is a virtue that we recognize as coming from God's intervention. And as a spirit-energized quality, we affirm the presence of patience in a community that has been brought together by the Holy Spirit. And under no other circumstance would we find ourselves in one location doing the same thing together. Throughout the book of Galatians, Paul writes against the Galatians believing in any other gospel. Let's read that here in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. Paul writes, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You see, the book of Galatians is not so much a repetition of the gospel Paul instead recalibrates the way that they should judge gospel presentations. In other words, to defend the gospel that they had received, Paul focuses on establishing the source of the blessings they have experienced. And so to do that, Paul focuses on the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit had been given to the Galatians, demonstrated the validity of the gospel that they had proclaimed. And so in many ways, the book of Galatians is just a riff off of John chapter 3. When Jesus discusses being born again with Nicodemus, Jesus responds to Nicodemus' misunderstanding by saying this. He says, "'Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit.'" In Galatians, Paul is showing them how the presence in, of the Spirit in their lives is the ultimate proof of the gospel. And he says this in chapter 3 Let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul here is trying to validate their reception of the true gospel by highlighting how the fact that they had received the Spirit proves that they had, in fact, received the true gospel. And so why turn to any other message? Now, this patience described in Galatians chapter 5 is also demonstrated intolerance. Now, when I say the word tolerance, it can be tempting to hear a dismissal of standards or a loosening of criteria. But this is not at all the case. To tolerate someone means simply to give the freedom to others to contribute in their own personal ways. To tolerate something or someone does not mean to say that everything or everyone is right To tolerate something or something is to allow for the possibility that you or I are wrong. And so to tolerate means to endure the differences of others for the sake of the whole. So this kind of toleration only comes and only becomes possible because of the ministry of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, verses 28 28 to 29, Paul talks about the multiplicity of identities present in the church that the Spirit has brought together. He says it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Greek or male or female. Paul says every Christian now is one in Christ with others. Now, this does not at the same time erase cultural, historical, or racial difference. Rather, Paul here affirms and recognizes the multiplicity of identities that Christ's ministry has accomplished. The fact that there are multiple identities in the community demonstrates the truthfulness of the fact that that the gospel is available to all. There are no longer Jews or Greeks or male or female. But in fact, all of these now become one in Christ. And so they are no longer legitimate reasons for separation or dissociation. The Holy Spirit creates a community of believers in which all are committed to the Son of God. And it's the Spirit that encourages us to tolerate one another so that we can live with an exceptional harmony. Tolerance recognizes and appreciates the difference that the Spirit has brought together. So patience is an interpersonal, Spirit-energized tolerance for other believers. And so now that we've answered the question, what is patience, now let's move on to how is patience. So the answer to this second question is this. Interpersonal, spirit-energized tolerance is performed by caring for the public images of others. We practice this form of interpersonal patience when we care about how others are perceived by the believing community. So by public image, I mean this. I mean the kind of character that a person is perceived to have in the presence of others. See, when we come together, We all have a public face. A personality that we either put on or that others believe that we have based off of how we look and act in their presence. So I can use myself as an example right now. I'm here, I'm dressed in slacks, I have a nice coat on. As someone told me this morning, I clean up real good. Right, but the fact that I don't dress like this in private doesn't mean that I lack integrity, right, or not a man of character. Really what this says is that I paid attention to the fact that I'd like Pastor Randy to invite me to preach again. And so I better show that I can handle the opportunity. That's what I mean by public image. It's the public me we share with others. Now in Galatians chapter 2, we see this interpersonal spirit energized tolerance when the Apostle Paul rebukes Peter. In this brief story we see how the spirit motivates tolerance between believers. So Paul, who by this time in his ministry had been interacting with Cephas or the apostle Peter, he describes his confrontation in verses 2 sorry in chapter 2 verses 7 to 10. Let me read that here for us. Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised." Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Note here that Paul affirms Peter's ministry, his authority, and the value of Peter's ministry to Paul. Paul knew that Peter was an important figure in the early church, and he treated him as such. Even though Paul technically didn't need Peter's approval, he recognized it. But in chapter 2, Paul is clear about his personal opposition to Peter's hypocrisy. Peter had been acting in a way that was intolerant and isolating. And because of Peter's influence, others were doing the same thing. Now, Paul has a choice to make here. Does Paul say, not say anything? I mean, this is Peter after all, the one Jesus personally invested in while he was on earth. Does Paul join in? Paul recognizes Peter's authority, and he might as well lean into this moment, and Peter probably had good intentions. Instead, Paul decides to oppose Peter. That's a recipe for disaster. Peter, the established leader in the church, the pillar, along with James, a person whose validation means a lot. Paul might as well kiss his ministry goodbye. But I want you to see how Paul confronts Peter. Paul responds to Peter with patience. And at this point, we would not have batted an eye if Paul had let Peter have it. If Paul had said, Peter, you numbskull, what are you thinking? How can you be so dense? Why would you be willing to destroy the great work God is doing by refusing to eat a pig roast with the Gentiles? But rather than derision, rather than dismissal, rather than denouncing Peter in front of everyone, look at how Paul words his patience in verse 14. Paul says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to save us before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the, Jew, the Gentiles to live like Jews? I want us to read in here a tolerance that preserves difference by caring for Peter's image in front of everyone affected by Peter's hypocrisy. Now, is Peter wrong? Absolutely. And Paul rightly calls him out on this. But Paul shows an incredible amount of restraint here. He recognizes Peter's orthodoxy, his influence, and his ministry. The problem is that Peter's public ministry did not quite match up with his private life. And while Paul might have had a reason to excommunicate Peter and have him replaced, instead he demonstrates a spirit-energized tolerance that maintains Peter's ministry. Paul acts patiently with Peter by helping Peter save face. I mean, we all know what it's like to be berated in public, right? We might not have disagreed with the reason for being berated. Maybe... It happened at a staff meeting. We get called out for something that we've done that was incorrect or not part of procedure. Okay, our boss says, because we had an employee that forgot to log off the computers at the end of the day, <clears throat> Joe, now we all have to stay an extra five minutes at the end of the day to make sure they all get shut down. Right? I might not disagree with the reason for being berated. But this kind of response is impatient. It is about enforcing a law that makes people externally unified but internally broken. Paul could have just as easily done that with Peter. And instead, Paul shows patience when he preserves Peter's public image. Now, if Paul had not demonstrated this patience, this sermon would instead be about how to eject church leaders from their posts. But instead, Paul saves Peter's image, and he rescues Peter's ministry from his mistake. In caring for Peter's public image, Paul demonstrates an interpersonal, spirit-energized tolerance for Peter. He shows patience. So patience is an interpersonal, spirit-energized tolerance for other believers. And it's shown in caring for the public images of others, even if there might be correction or opposition involved. But what about us? Where is patience for us? So now that we've answered the question, how is patience, let's move on to where is patience. Now the answer to this third question will probably sound the most intuitive but it's also the most difficult mostly this is because the answer to this last question asks us to consider where we must be in order to put patience into practice and it probably will sound a bit unnerving since patience is one of the last virtues that we seek out to practice love sure I'm there peace I'm all about it I can't get there fast enough. Joy? Sign me up. I'll be the first in line. Patience? Now, wait a minute. Let's not be too hasty. The answer to this third question, the question that answers where patience is, patience is found and cultivated in Christian publics. In Christian publics. And I'm going to give you three in these final minutes together. So when I refer to something as a public what I mean is this. I mean a gathering of Christian persons in which you engage with Christians that have a different private life than you. No matter how well someone knows you, there will always be part of your life that are hidden. With our faith, we can be a Christian in private, but that's because Jesus sees us everywhere all the time. The patience in Galatians 5, you can only show in public with a group of Christians whose public image is most of what you see. And so the three publics we'll discuss here are our friendships, our marriages, and our small groups. There are more, but these are the only three that we'll talk about today. Now, with our Christian friendships, We practice patience when we avoid celebrating Festivus for the rest of us. You remember that holiday from Seinfeld, right? On December 23rd, you celebrate Festivus with the aluminum pole, the feats of strength. And those are okay, I guess. But what I mean is we must avoid the the airing of grievances. Patience is there when we choose not to bring up people's mistakes for all to see. Now, the temptation to air grievances is particularly acute when we feel like we have been personally wronged. I remember walking with someone that I had seen be wronged by a group of people. And in this situation, someone had asked for people to be available to help out with a task. And this person shows up. Now, this task was to be done early in the morning. Now, after they had arrived, they had been told that their help wasn't needed after all. Now, if this was me, I would have been livid. And this person was right in feeling frustrated that they had been asked to be there early and not done anything. The problem, however, was that when they were walking with me, they began a conversation like this. I'm going to have to say something about this or I'm just going to be angry all day. Now, time out. Does this person have to talk about it? Yes. Do they have to talk about it with me? No. Is this person justified in feeling frustrated? Yes. But have they been patient with their fellow believers who for whatever reason committed this wrong? No. Sacrificing their public image to his frustration, all that was left was a bad taste in our mouths about those believers. As Peter says, love covers a multitude of wrongs. And in this case, love does it through patience. Now, the second public is our marriage. Now, we often don't think of our marriages as public. But when you stop to think about how marriage brings two lives together, your private life becomes public in a very unique way. You gave up privacy to become your own public together. Problems arise when we take the blessing of knowing someone intimately and use that as an opportunity to turn our exclusive public into an inclusive public. We do this when we take our intimate knowledge of our spouse and share that nonchalantly. We might explain to our friends, well, if my husband would get his flu shot every year like I told them, then maybe our kids wouldn't get sick every winter. Or we tell our men's group, if my wife might stop talking to her mom about everything we go through, then maybe I might be willing to go on that vacation to see them. With our spouses, it can be easy to forget that privacy is shared because what they do is always public to us. But it is precisely in the most intimate partnership, that most private of relationships, that we must be attentive to the public image. As Proverbs 16.28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. It can be easy to read that verse and believe that we're not the dishonest man or the whisperer. But if we are separating close friends, the friendship of our marriage, then maybe it's necessary to reflect and ask if we are that person. So one way to avoid this in marriage is by caring for the public image of your spouse, making sure to preserve that intimate public that came about when you both stated your vows. Now, one more public exists and that's our small group. I wanted to make sure we talked about the small groups because it's the place where we have the most opportunity to deal with the public image of believers. Our small groups are filled with difference. The Spirit brings together a community of believers that, without incidentally asking any of us for our approval. He brings in families, singles, people who speak different languages, people who grew up with traditional families, those who did not, and then the expectation is that we would all work together for the glory of Christ. That's a monumental task. The problem is, or that can emerge, is that there can be a lack of tolerance in small groups. It's the place where we encounter difference most acutely, And if there are some who do things differently, the logic goes, then it might be that they're doing something wrong. That is to say, we often equate difference with being incorrect. Or to use a term that might have been familiar in Paul's day, we view it as illegal. But difference ensures veracity, vitality, and viability. Difference signals truth. Difference shows that life is there. Difference energizes a community. Difference does not mean that there isn't disagreement, but difference does mean there's coexistence and cooperation. There's a rich communion in difference. Otherwise, it would be called opposition. Now, we attend to the public images of other believers when we celebrate those differences, when we embrace them. So that means that as a University of Texas graduate, I will shake the hand of an Oklahoma Sooner without washing my hands afterward. (laughs) It also means that as a Mexican-American, I recognize the contributions of my black and white brothers and sisters. I celebrate others' differences and let them do things in their own way. When we celebrate difference in our small groups, we show a spirit-energized tolerance that affirms God's work and recognizes His divine intervention in creating a community that under under no other circumstance would be together. So each of these locations are a public. They're places in which a spirit-energized tolerance is visible. And by caring for the public images, Of our friends in our marriages and in our small groups we exemplify the patience that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5 so to wrap up here first we answered the question what is patience second we answered how is patience and third we discussed where is patience now there is an unsung hero and Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy that I'd like to end with here and his name is Alfred Pennyworth while Alfred is, does not jump off buildings or don the cape and cowl he is responsible for saving Bruce Wayne through patience throughout the trilogy we see Bruce Wayne struggling to let go of revenge and living without the mask Alfred on the other hand, loves Bruce Wayne, and he supports him through being Batman to hopefully see him move past it. And in the last movie, Alfred finally sees Bruce live in freedom and as himself. But what makes Alfred unique is his patience. Because while Bruce Wayne is willing to sacrifice his public image for the sake of Batman, Alfred never does. He makes sure to preserve Bruce Wayne's public image because in the end, that's all he has. Now, we all have an opportunity to be Alfred. Every time we're with other believers, and by the intervention of the Spirit, we can be there to ensure that our fellow believers have a public image that is enduring and brings glory to the God who is eternally tolerant with us. And by showing that tolerance, we show how patience truly is the longest virtue. Now to end here, we're going to pray the spiritual gifts prayer that Pastor Randy has had us praying after every sermon. And so let's read this prayer together as we close. Heavenly Father, we pray that this day we may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, we pray that this day we may take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, we pray that this day you will fill us with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control— Amen.